Welcome to another exciting episode of the Life at Ahead podcast. I'm your host, Nick Rodriguez, and today we're exploring the power of groundbreaking technologies and how Ahead's communities of excellence foster innovation. The pace of technology development is moving faster than ever before. Every day, new advancements emerge, pushing the boundaries on what we thought was possible. But amidst this constant change, how can we truly be innovative? And what does innovation actually mean? In this episode, we have the pleasure of sitting down with Josh Perkins, a Heads VP of Emerging Technologies, who is a passionate advocate for the groundbreaking technologies that are shaping our future. Josh shares his vision for what lies ahead, and we discuss the profound impact the Ahead communities of excellence have had on fostering innovation. We also sit down with two community leaders, Andy and Ian, who share their experiences and shed light on how these communities are shaping the direction of our organization. Whether you're a tech enthusiast, aspiring innovator, or simply curious about what the future holds, this episode is for you. Join us as we uncover the passion, vision, and inspiration, driving innovation and propelling ahead into the future. Welcome, listeners. I have Josh Perkins with me here today. Super excited to have him on the podcast. Josh, how are you doing? Very good, Nick. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Super excited to be talking about innovation and our communities of excellence with you. But before we get started, for the folks listening who don't know who you are, can you give us a quick overview of your role? Sure. Josh Perkins. I look after what we're calling emerging technologies that I had, which is really an umbrella for a couple of kind of key elements of our organization. Um, first and foremost, we work across our kind of field CTO, our kind of chief evangelist roles across the organization that focus a lot of effort on kind of helping define and look at vision across our kind of top customers um, and partners. Uh, I look after our solutions experience uh, or AKA briefing program um, and kind of how do we think about putting that uh, vision into play with our customers in longer format strategic meetings. Uh, and then I also look after our uh, labs uh, group and organization and how do we kind of bring tangibility to some of the solutions that we're trying to bring in, bring to bear for the market. And then most recently, we really started taking on this kind of thoughtfulness or proactivity around um, what are we learning across all of those interactions with our clients and partners in the broader kind of technology community and trying to interpret that into a more proactive approach to what's coming for ahead and the types of things that we need to be thinking about, evaluating and building towards um, in order to kind of stay ahead of the curve, pun intended, and, and really kind of make sure that we're maintaining a kind of forward thinking thought leadership that our customers can take advantage of and our partners can lean into as they think about how we kind of go to market together uh, with our clients. That all sounds incredible. We're talking about briefing experience. We're talking about labs. We're talking about what the source of innovations and visionary looking forward in the future. I, you know, I said visionary, but I think I've told you this before, Josh, every time I talk to you, I'm like, this guy's a visionary. Like every, every conversation we have, it's so forward thinking and innovative, right? Even before this call, while we're getting warmed up, we end up talking about an RFP, like AI bot basically to help us respond to RFPs faster. The time before this, that we were talking about, you were giving us, giving me an overview of ACEs and it just sounds amazing. So I think you sure. are just the guy to be in this role and uh, I'm super excited for, uh, it, you know, for you to, for what you're going to do in 2024. Well, thanks. I I, I know I do, and I'm sure my team really appreciates the continued confidence that so many folks across the organization have 
have placed in us and placed in us every day. So I think you called out something really intriguing there too, which is, you know, I think while I may have made that sound very externally facing, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for us to really think about how do we innovate in our own organization? How do we really think about not just what technology means for our customers, but what can it mean for us as we continue to kind of grow into the large enterprise that we aspire to be? Um, I think that's uh, something we're, we're certainly kind of keen on and trying to think about as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're kind of looking like you're saying the external facing and also the internal facing and figuring out emerging technologies for both. And, you know, when you're talking about emerging technologies, I associate that a lot with innovation. And when I think about a head's value around innovate and what you do, I feel like you're right at the core of this value. And so you know, I'd love to get your perspective on like, what does innovation mean to you? How do you define it? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that one, like, I think there's a lot of different ways to think contextually about what innovation means, especially in our industry. That's so immediately involved in kind of the, the technological undertaking of, of where businesses are trying to go. I, I think at the highest level, I think about innovation really as the combination of an invention or some sort of solution times its commercial value, which is really the idea that, you know, you don't want to create inventions that don't solve anything that people don't understand what, what it's for. So that's where the kind of commercial value kind of component of that function comes in. And then I, I think that this doesn't mean that everything that we do that's innovative is like a massive transformation. A lot of innovation is really going to be how, how steadily and frequently can we maintain an iterative approach to improvement for clients, right? Or the technology ecosystem over time. All that said, like there's the other side of this, which is really the, how someone applies it is really, really key to the commercialization value of that innovation. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when we're looking at things, I think we look at it and say, are these generic shifts in the technology estate, right? Things that are broadly applicable to all the clients we serve, right? And will have implications across all of them. And then, digging deeper into that, what are the unique applications or changes coming? And that's where things like industry verticalization and kind of that kind of contextual understanding of how our client is going to apply it in their own business or in their own terms kind of has to layer into that idea of innovation as well. And so, you know, a good example of this would be something along the lines of, you know, AI is a very broad broad term and umbrella for a lot of different kind of groundbreaking things that we're going to see in the space. Mm -hmm. But until you really dig into, in a lot of circumstances, like how healthcare is going to apply it and their unique nuances of how they're, you know, what they need to do with it, that it's not deeply innovative, right? It, it's generic. Um, so what we're really trying to say is how well can we understand the top level technology piece? And then how well can we start understanding and building a material expertise around how it's going to be applied over time in that particular space so that we can speak the language of the people that we're trying to work with and sell to in these particular areas. And, and fundamentally, like innovation also yields the fact that, you know, it's, it's new, right, to a degree, right? Like that's kind of a core principle behind it, which means we need to think about it in terms of what capabilities we need to build and how we need to deal with the uncomfortableness that comes from the idea that we're not going to inherently have expertise. And so you have to think about new ways of working with within our teams and with our clients if we really want to be something that, you know, someone that can help them execute against innovative technology. 
Yeah, I really like what you're kind of talking about where there's innovation and making sure that what you're doing is relevant, right? And then making sure that what you're doing, like you can come up with this new idea, this new way to work or whatever it might be, but then you also have to kind of like explain it a little bit in old terms so that people can relate to it and then take that step forward. And then at the same time, you also need to be able to talk to how to actually go and execute this on like the ground level, like deeper sure. into it sort of thing. So it's like, even if you come up with this new idea or new whatever, there's so many layers to it that you're going to have to like drill down into and like get comfortable with. When it's really incumbent on us as people that want to be strong partners and advisors to, to our clients is that like one audience matters, like who we're in front of should dictate kind of how we're thinking about how we're messaging and to what level that, you know, we're, we're really approaching something that we would deem as kind of an innovative technology. But the other piece here is that the pace of a lot of this is, is, is changing very rapidly, which like this, the speed uh, of what we need to do and how we need to think about these things continues to accelerate. And, and so the side effect of that is, you know, we're going to have to get better and better, especially in these spaces of using our clients, um, as a group that we work with to think through some of these spaces. Like the idea of co-creation, especially when it comes to emerging tech is a muscle that we need to you know, work out and, and, and continue to flex as we grow. I really like that. I'm curious what like recent like innovations or emerging technologies uh, that you are particularly excited about and why? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the kind of two spaces that I find myself kind of most near-term interested in are really like, what are we anticipating the consequences of AI success to be uh, in the organizations we serve? So beyond the kind of near-term hype cycle of like, obviously, you know, every single um, investor call has somehow incorporated that every company is doing AI to a degree at this point. And certainly since kind of that Prometheus moment of ChatGPT last November, there's, you know, way more interest than there is capability to execute right now in, in this particular space. And so I think, you know, there's stuff that we can do to build and support the things that are happening right now and the anticipation that um, our enterprise clients are really probably going to start taking advantage or trying to build against some of these spaces in the next six to 12 months um, as it kind of moves into their segments. But I think what's interesting to me in that space isn't really solving the problems of what that looks like as much as it's assuming that we're successful and we help some of our clients navigate what's next in that space like where, where what's the natural progression of that success look like and what are the implications to the organizations we do that work with so you know if you're if you're thinking about it as something that's like deeply augmented to their workforce that you know then what right and and i think sometimes as technologists we get so hung up on the the what and how components of technology that we we lose the why to a large degree uh, organizations doing it or or you know what the long term implication of that use is and so that's where I'm starting to think really like focusing more effort around is you know things like decision intelligence is is one of those concepts where can we simulate an entire enterprise workflow and combine multiple AI methods and there's tremendous business value in being able to execute at that level. So how can a head be, you know, in a position to really start thinking about it more as a combinatory effort and less as an individual, you know, singular project. And then the other piece of that is like, 
if that's the data side of the coin, which is how are we getting more insightful around how businesses run and, um, and, and how efficiently they do that, then I think the other piece is just the, the downstream implication of everyone thinking about the digitization of their business. And I don't want to use the phrase digital transformation because I think it's extremely um, over leveraged. But I think the reality is that every single one of our clients is trying to think about the way digital products will impact their business and their ability to go to market and the elasticity with which they'll be able to leverage their workforce and provide good experiences to their clients. And so if I play that back and think about, you know, what do we need to do? We, we need to help development organizations and teams get more and more focused on driving out the delivery of those products in an efficient, effective, and a secure way. And so like, how does, how does that kind of root thesis, like, hey, people need to build these things and they're going to be more and more interested in doing it. How does that shake out for a firm like ours in terms of the tangible things that we can help you know, build the right foundations and get our clients closer and closer to a preparedness point where they can go do that successfully? And fundamentally, I think that that relates to this idea in no uncertain terms that the businesses that we work with are make, continuing to make massive investments in technology because they want to generate really good digital experiences for their kind of employees and clients. And they want those digital experiences to generate data that then allows them to make better decisions on what they do next with their business. And the more that we can embrace that truth, I think the better position we as an organization will be to helping our clients realize that future. Yeah. <clears throat> you're already thinking about long-term implications of AI decisions, right? I really like how you're kind of like thinking, okay, cool, but like what's going to happen like four moves from this that's right. going to have the, you know, the business impact on it. Uh, I'm just curious, like, how do you keep yourself sharp? How do you keep yourself up to date on this stuff? Like where, where are you learning it? Oh, man, I couldn't be born at a better time to try to self-learn, right? Like I think the amount of free education and enablement that exists at this point, you know, our curiosity is is greatly exceeded by the potential avenues and channels we have to fuel that curiosity. And so like to me, uh, I voracious reader, right? So like, I, I don't think I've picked up a piece of fiction in forever, unfortunately. I just read tremendous amounts of nonfiction. Um, and I try to really look at content that is a mix of more technologically oriented and things that feel comfortable in our space and and then stuff that really applies completely different perspectives to problems and, and challenges that maybe gets us out of the echo chamber of a technology organization and the technology ecosystem that then kind of better informs right the, those perspectives and ideas and I, you know, I, I do that in, in terms of kind of stuff that I'm seeing, tremendous amounts of news, lots of YouTube videos get watched from different, uh, from different groups. So, you know, subscribe to newsletters that come in every day and kind of create a, a channel feed for things that I'm seeing or interested in, follow a lot of people that I find to be intriguing and interesting and, and you, know, you know, read their content and stuff that they're doing. So I, I think it's really about you know, the massive fire hose at this point that's potentially possible and trying to hone it more and more on stuff that I think provides diverse perspectives and keeps me intrigued, right? Like continues to fuel things that maybe I'm less familiar with or less comfortable out. And I'd say I'm a, I tend to be a pretty autodidactic individual, which just means like once I kind of get latched onto something, I'll, I'll dive deep into the rabbit hole and try to figure out as much about it as I can. 
And, and so I think that, you know, you can't do that on everything, but picking a few things that really fuel that, you know, personal passion and alignment, um, continues to kind of keep it, keep it sharp. And then the, the last thing I'd say about that, not to kind of go into too much is I think the time I spend with clients has been massively impactful. Um, so just the idea that I get to go ask so many different executives and technology leaders across our client base, the same types of questions and, and really listen and try to understand and connect what's going on in their space is an unbelievably valuable resource for us to continue to leverage and pull from. You know, I, I think the idea that we're going to be innovative independently enough to sustain is, is silly. I think the reality of this is we have thousand plus amazing clients to crowdsource needs from and then drive that to try to determine where we can optimally place bets to meet unmet challenges. And so I, I, I just say like, you know, read, 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 listen, right? And then go have conversations with people that are living in different situations than you that have different perspectives and try your best to figure out how to synthesize that into, into your own perspective. Yeah, I love that. And what I really like about uh, kind of what you were talking through is that like I was imagining this as all these different data points that you're connecting between and in different mediums that you are connecting with them on, right? Talking about reading newsletters, which is probably a little bit more short form than finding the longer form thing and then finding the video to listen to and then connecting with clients and then connecting with other people. And it's just kind of bringing all of this together into a single like point, which is in your head, which sounds like it could be very overwhelming. But every time we talk, it's like, you know how to channel that so well. Um, I guess lucky in, in that way, right? I, 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 but it, it uh, it's really fun. And, and I honestly think too, like testing that all along the way, right? So like, I think the thing that I like the most about pulling together all types of content like that is you could immediately put it into to practice and play, right? So like, you know, I don't read a book without immediately testing the things I read about in that book in the next set of conversations I have. It, so it's about, it's about like embedding what you've just kind of absorbed and, and then integrating that into kind of your, your own vernacular and your own thought process as quickly as possible. Yeah. And I think a lot of the times people can be really quick to just kind of like in and out, right? Like yeah. I experienced it and it's over, but I think it's like, keep it there, hold it in there. And then when you go to have that out, apply it, try to practice it, do it on something and then see how it worked. Well, and, and try not to just regurgitate it, right? Like don't, don't just like assume everything that you read is factual, right? And that's the other piece, but without getting like too far into the weeds, I think the big thing is just like the curiosity element, right? Like just, mm -hmm. if you have a question, there's a good chance a lot of other people have had that question. And there's an even better chance that a large group of people have spent time in answering that question somewhere for you to go find. It's never been easier to, to really continuously self-improve that process. Yeah. I like what you said about not trusting everything you see right away. I, um, I enjoy going to the gym and I've been doing a lot of strength training in the last half of 2023. And it's so funny. Cause I'll see something. I'm like, Oh, I really like that exercise. Let me go to try to do it. And then you keep scrolling and then you see something else where it's like, never do that exercise. And you want to watch this. And I'm just like, Oh my God, like, wait, hold on. What is actually true? And then because I am curious and I do want to learn more about it, then I'm looking things sure. up online. I'm like, okay, what's the general trend? Where are people saying this is right? Where, who are the people who are pushing against it? Why? Why are they saying that's not good? And then the whole time, you know, I'm like, I go to the gym and I'm like, all right, let me try it out. I'm like, yeah, they're right. My shoulder hurt. I should definitely try the other way or whatever. But yeah, kind of like practicing and applying it, but getting a wide uh, breadth of perspective is always healthy. Yeah, agreed. I'm curious, you're talking about kind of like uh, the way that you keep yourself sharp, co-creating with clients sounds really important, but I'm wondering what other ways are you preparing for the future and trying to stay ahead of emerging technologies? I think like, you know, 
trying to get more and more involved with what I think are like the kind of horizon structured elements of, of how this plays out. So I think, you know, looking at the different timelines of the way technology goes from idea into um, kind of pervasiveness across our clients is really probably like a five to seven year window in a lot of circumstances beyond the kind of maybe front end research that fuels a lot of that. So I think what we're trying to think about too is how do we how do we take a look and listen to more of like the venture capital community and people that are even on like the more errant front end of things? And then how does that parlay into like the product development R&D teams and our core partnerships? And how do we get more involved with those groups to understand how kind of maybe that five to seven year time horizon turns into a, you know, three to five year time horizon. And by the time that that becomes a three to five year piece, we should probably be thinking about the types of capabilities and partnerships and other things that we need to start building against, because it's going to take us time to get to a point where we have an educated position. We have a point of view that makes sense. We understand the ecosystem. We have people that can not only think about it from a selling perspective and design perspective, but people that can start thinking about it from an implementation and experience. So I think it's just like, you know, when I think about how do we fundamentally build and systematically approach this moving forward, it's really like, how do we start bracketizing out that, that funnel and thinking about like, okay, reverse engineering the timeline, so to speak, to say, what do we need to do to be uh, appropriately proactive in a way that these things aren't hitting us out of a surprise? Like, we're not going to be perfect. There's definitely going to be things that come out of nowhere, right, very rapidly or evolve very quickly that maybe we weren't um, ultra focused on. But I think we can do a heck of a lot better job at saying, like, I kind of see everything that's going on in this pattern in terms of the buckets that are the most meaningful and most adjacent to the stuff that we do as an organization and then get better at interpreting that into the types of investments and in types of types of actions we need to take uh, a little bit further in advance so that we feel more confident uh, as that becomes more material in our clients. I like the reverse engineering sort of thing where you're like, all right, we we kind of know the timeline of innovation and how this applies into enterprise. So like, let's work this backwards sort of thing. Like sure. we're here, let's imagine here. And then what are the steps that kind of work this back? It's very interesting. I think, the, you know, it's a really natural dovetail into why I think the communities piece is such an important kind of manifestation for a head in the long run. One, to borrow a, a Linus Pauling quote, I, I think I used it Accelerate last year, which is like, the best way to have great ideas is to have lots of ideas. And I think that, you know, innovation is not something that's owned by an individual or led by an individual in an organization. It just can't be if we want to be really good in all these different domains. And so to me, communities, and even like as that evolves and matures and how we build kind of maybe tiger teams or more focused groups within those communities and approaches to certain particular types of technologies or in the pursuit of a specific industry, I think that it's going to be so important for us to be able to kind of get multiple perspectives together and, and kind of singularly threaded uh, against how we pursue these, these types of things and how they become a bigger part of what we do on a day-to-day -day basis ahead. Yeah, I'm super interested in the communities. I saw the Archie page. You mentioned them at the beginning. Uh, I talked about how we had... Uh, You'd kind of given me an overview on them before, but for the folks who are listening who don't know about our communities of excellence, can you give us a quick overview on them? Sure. 
we think about communities as a mechanism to get you know people from all across the organization with different roles, um, different experiences, frankly, just uh, different passions mm -hmm. together and collaborating on either different technical domains, i.e. things like platform engineering, or we just were spinning up one right now called Blue Cloud, which is uh, our approach to Azure, right? Uh, in light of the Amazon SDA, we still want to make sure that we're, you know, thinking about and innovating in, in the other hyperscalers as well. And so I, I think, you know, some of that stuff will happen very naturally, but I think there's the, the technical side, which we really want people to, across the practices to view this as a mechanism where we can think more holistically and less within like isolated domains. And then the other kind of types of community we're thinking about are really more industry or vertically aligned, which is how do we start kind of sourcing um, between passion or frankly, previous employment and previous experiences, um, people that were involved in, in specific industries that can help us provide more context to the stuff that we want to go work on or the types of problems that our clients are experiencing or, or challenges that they're trying to solve for in those particular spaces. And communities is really meant to be a platform for a number of different things, right? Whether it's how do we start the ideation process and solutions build process, right? People have a good idea. How do we start bringing that kind of idea to bear and testing it out and figuring out what works? It's meant to be an enablement construct, which is like, can we bring different partners or maybe even eventually clients um, to kind of come to the community meetings and, and talk about a specific thing they're working on and that engenders new ideas in that particular space? And then I'd say, lastly, it's it's really also meant to be a mechanism to to create and showcase the like the wonderful stuff that that people are working on that maybe is you know under visible in certain circumstances across our teams and across different domains. And you know, I think when we can get multiple people working together to solve problems from any capacity, uh, it deserves you know some proper highlighting and, and showcasing to the rest of the org. And I think that over time we do that the correct way, you know, it's really a building scenario by which we think more and more people will want to come along for that ride and, and, and help us build what's next for ahead. Yeah, that's so cool. I like that. It's, <clears throat> it sounds like it's just kind of open to anybody. And as long as you're passionate about it and willing to participate, it's a community that you can be a part of. Yeah. I think the, the balance there obviously is, you know, passive engagement versus active engagement. So, mm -hmm. you know, really the inflection point for us is how do we get a community from a lot of people that have expressed interest in something, which is great, right? It's a great starting point to how do we get, you know, as many people as possible actually engaged in those interests. So contributing to different efforts, providing perspectives, um, getting more enabled, right? Coming to, to trainings, showing up to meetings, being part of the dialogue and not just, you know, attending. Um, and so I, I think, you know, for us, we're learning a lot, right? In the first year of, of the program and stuff that, that has worked and not worked, we're going to continue to obviously invest in it and, and, and evolve it in, in lieu of the stuff that we're trying to accomplish. And I also think that communities are a great way to integrate new people into our business and new businesses into our business as well, which is really just a you know, a great point of building your personal network and, and trying to understand like who's who in the zoo to a large degree um, across ahead. 
Mm-hmm. I really like the part that, you know, what you're talking about with active engagement. I, uh, this summer I was part of a, um, a leadership program and it was one of those things where like, there wasn't a whole lot of networking up front, but they expect a lot of like group discussion. You're kind of like sitting in this room with like 30 strangers and like, no one really wants to talk. Anybody who knows me knows I was probably like the first to raise my hand and tr- just try to start the conversation going. But like, I remember the first couple sessions being rough. Like not a whole lot of other people talking. I'm like, Hey, I'm just sitting here and I'm just sharing my own idea. I don't want other people to feel like they're drowning in my ideas, but you need to like help me and balance this out. Cause like the, the proctor needs someone to get this going. Sure. And so by the time that we got to our last two sessions, everybody's got their hand raised. They're trying to talk. I'm like, yeah, if only we had that like upfront, we could have had like so much more of a meaningful experience during this time. I still really enjoyed it, but I think it's super important. Like if someone's going to sign up for something or they're saying they want to attend, you, you got to lean in, like you, you got to be active. Well, I think some of that, I mean, especially in like the experience you're describing, people have to feel a level of confidence and psychological safety in order to contribute. Right. And I think that calls out a really good point in what we're trying to do with communities. Like the reason that we call them communities of excellence and not centers of excellence is because there's no preconceived notion that to be part of the community, you have to be an expert already in the topic that the community is trying to understand or, or get better at. And I think that's a big part of the psychological safety idea, which is like, there are no bad ideas. There are no dumb questions in this space. Like the expectation is you're here to learn and others are here to learn. And by joint contribution, like the rising tide raises all boats to, to a large extent. And so I would just say like, you know, please engage, but, but also don't feel like, you know, if you're joining an automation community and you're not already an expert at, you know, Ansible, that's okay. That that's expected, right? Like, um, and you should, you should come bring that curiosity that we talked about earlier and hopefully we can help direct you to, to personal things that will make you feel more confident and, and more structured over time and fuel that curiosity even further. The marketing in me is like, all right, Josh, you got to tell the listeners, how do they get involved with the communities? Calls to action. Well, so, I mean, it's really easy. So, you know, we're, we're continuing to add communities based on different industries and different domains. We'll, we'll continue to launch and, and honestly, even reframe some of the ones that we already have to make sure that they're applicable over the next 12 months. And we'll keep posting them in Archie. And so there's, there's the kind of sign up form if you're really interested in a particular community and that will notify the, the leaders of that community to get you added to kind of all the different sessions. It'll get you added to the team's channels, get you kind of as part of the discourse of the overall kind of group um, and, and provide access to maybe the materials that they're working on or, or kind of other things that can kind of fuel that forward in the conversation, uh, broadly speaking. And then there's also the opportunity for, you know, those that are uh, in, incited to their own individual uh, idea of this is like, you know, you can create a new community, right? We've, we've already had some people come forward and say, um, you know, I think that there's a broader interest in this particular area and I'd like to take the mantle of kind of see, seeing or discovering whether or not other people have that same interest. And uh, honestly, like that's the baseline for one of our most successful communities right now was that a couple of folks from our, our data team said, we think there could be a lot of people interested and don't know enough about data science, but there's lots of curiosity. And they put up, you know, sent a form in and said, here's our first 10 people that have decided that they're also interested. And now that that group has over 70 people on it, you know, there's certainly stuff that I think is a good idea. And then there's a lot of stuff that hopefully the organization will organically and holistically believe is a good idea. 
And I'm really hoping that the latter of those greatly outnumbers the former. Sounds like you've got like a really great setup to like foster innovation, right? It's like, hey, everyone's welcome. We want your new perspectives, different ideas. You aren't the sole person who can do this. There's so many other people who are interested. And it just kind of gives people that space and that opportunity to be like, hey, if you want to get involved, if you want to start innovating, you want to think about these communities, or you're passionate about them. We've created that space for that. And I think it's awesome that uh, people have the opportunity to jump in. Yeah, I'd, I'd say the the one other thing about this that I think is an important call out because I, I get this feedback all the time is, well, like, how do we make the time and space to do this, right? Like everyone's already low bandwidth in terms of mm-hmm. having additional things to work on. And um, this sounds like, you know, more effort and, and more work. And and I would say like, you know, one, I think hopefully if, if we can get you aligned to things that really do align to something you're deeply interested in, it, it won't feel that much like work. Mm-hmm. And then two... You know, we do have mechanisms in place that if you're if you're actually contributing work, building IP, helping us design something that, you know, maybe comes to fruition, maybe even doesn't, right? But it, it's the start of something material for like, we'll, we have mechanisms to make sure that you're, you know, you're properly able to allocate your time and find the space to, to work on and do those things. Because we do think it's incredibly important to kind of foster this scenario. So just uh, don't let that be a, a self-imposed um, objection to participation. Yeah, I like that. Um, you had mentioned the uh, data science community having a really great startup. Ten to seventy came out of you know people wanting to do it right. I'm curious what other like highlights from Aces have happened uh, since you started them. You know, one I think from a industry community perspective, we saw people take you know very different approaches between like how to get things started and and certainly you know, those things at the beginning of a line to kind of our biggest customer base elements that we think that there'd be the most people participating in or having, you know, most direct alignment to. But, you know, I, I look at like the healthcare community and say, you know, we do a lot of business in healthcare across clients. You know, it's anywhere between 30 to 40% annually, you know, in a given year. And I think the way that that community has really taken it upon itself to be a uh, an education opportunity, a forum for our partners to come in and focus specifically on what they're solving for and thinking about in in that industry. It accomplishes exactly what we were hoping for to a large degree on the front end of the project, which was just like, we might not be in a position yet to say like, here's the 10 really groundbreaking solutions that the community is building for healthcare. But we know that the starting point there is building a vocabulary around what's going on in that particular area. It's about getting people more comfortable talking about the way technology is being leveraged in the context of healthcare providers and healthcare organizations. And I think like over time, and it's a long play, that's going to yield absolutely amazing things. And I think that, you know, the more comfortable people get with that. To our kind of previous point, the the more they'll want to contribute and, and the more they see value from participating in that particular space. So I think like different communities have taken different approaches. And I'm also really excited to watch communities overlap. For example, the financial services community had the leaders from the data science community come in to their community meeting and talk about specific uh, use cases and applications that they were seeing for insurance and banking and investment management customers. And I really hope that that we can continue to foster a level of cross-pollination in that extent as we move forward, because there's there's really nothing better than when uh, you get multiple groups of people with high conviction and high passion working together towards common cause. 
I'm telling you right now, just listening to it, I feel inspired. Like I like it's the place I want to go sort of thing where it's like other people who are excited about something who are willing to share, you know, provide some learning opportunities, stuff like that. It's just it's one of those things where I'm like, man, I'm so glad that we have this. It sounds so wonderful. And we're building, right? I don't want to I don't want to give anyone the notion that we think we've gotten this 100% dialed in or that it's perfect. It it we're going to continue to iterate on it and learn from what's working and not working in different groups and, and try to make sure that we create mechanisms and repeatability to that, to those kind of components in, in other spots. And I would just say, like, if you bring your passion to it, we'll do our darndest to make sure that it's put to good use. Yeah, I feel like you got the key ingredients there. Yeah. When I talk and, you know, marketing background, everything sounds so extravagant and amazing and everything. It really does. Um, but yeah, it definitely is a learning process. And I'm sure that, you know, if anybody wants to help contribute to that success of the communities or where they're going, it sounds like they should join. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think there's going to be opportunities to lead communities too, right? And, and demonstrate, you know, your own personal and professional growth through those particular avenues as well. So I think it's a absolutely critical component of our success as an organization over time. We just got to figure out how to make sure that it gets the right amount of attention and provides enough value to everybody um, to live up to that expectation. Oh, I'm glad that's what you're focused on and thinking about like what you're talking about earlier, like, all right, where's this going in like a couple of years? Yeah. Build for what we want, right? There we go. Josh, I mean, I think we could sit on here for two hours and talk, but uh, I know you've got a schedule. I'm wondering if you got any closing thoughts you want to share with the audience. You know, I, I've never worked anywhere that I've been so passionate about the potential of what we do here and like how we apply it across so many notable and important organizations that are shaping our society and, and country overall. And and I just think like, you know, we, we owe it to each other and we owe it to ourselves to, to show up and absolutely try our best and to think, think bigger and think differently. And I, you know, I think I would just end on saying like, what got us here won't get us to where we want to go necessarily. And so come help out. We're looking to harness everyone's best and whether that's communities, whether that's contributing to labs, joining us in briefings and helping clients transform the way they think about the organization or whether that's aspiring to be part of our kind of direct field and emerging tech team directly. Like we all, we all have things to work on and passions to pursue. And if I can help anyone in any way, get closer to that point, I'm absolutely here to do so. Well, Josh, thank you for your time today. Every time we talk, I learn something new and I also leave feeling very activated and inspired to go do something. So I, I assume the rest of my workday is going to be me crushing it. Uh, thanks to you. So Josh, again, thank you for your time. Awesome. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate you having us on. Welcome back, folks. I have Ian Cox with me here today. Ian, how's it going? Pretty good, Nick. How are you? Uh, doing well. I can't complain. Uh, very excited to learn more about you. I feel like most of the guests I have on my podcast I have worked with before, but we have not had the pleasure of working together yet. Great. Well, very pleased to make your acquaintance as well, Nick. Um, I'm excited for the conversation today. I am a delivery manager in the DSG Data and AI practice. I manage a team of data engineers and architects, and um, I'm going to be talking to you about the ACES data science community today. Awesome. I have to circle back on one thing. Ahead, I assume everywhere in tech, but ahead, especially from my experiences, big acronym place. Did you say DA and AI? <laughs> I said data and AI. Uh, but, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So DSG, I dropped in there as well, but digital solutions group for those yeah, that are. 
Yeah, I thought it was like data analytics. I was like, all right, I already have two acronyms in my title. You've got like four. I don't know. You got to... <laughs> We're always adding in data, always adding new skills. Yeah, fantastic. Can you tell me a little bit about your role? Sure. So as a delivery manager, I'm mainly responsible for ensuring that my team is aligned to billable opportunities um, that are matched up with data engineering skill sets. Um, so that could span the gamut from any number of different things, from data modeling, data architecture, stand-up of that architecture in the cloud, um, enablement on that architecture, um, and also uh, different areas of data, just in general, such as data visualization. We have a huge amount of Power BI work. Um, a lot of SQL writing and data organization in SQL in one aspect or another. Um, and more and more, we're seeing need for uh, data science and AI type of initiatives. That is a hot commodity right now. So um, we're seeing more and more momentum in that realm. Very cool. Sounds very, uh, I'll say, innovative or at least cutting edge. So that's going to keep it exciting. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's an industry where the landscape of tools and techniques is changing rapidly, and it's becoming increasingly difficult to keep up with. But we think we're doing a good job partnering with some uh, really great technology partners that are helping us ride that wave and staying current in the market. Yeah, yeah. And so you had mentioned this before, and I know because I talked to Josh, but a heads community of excellence, uh, you lead one of our technical communities, correct? Yes. So I co-lead the ACES data science community with one of our principal uh, data scientists, Ben Prescott. Um, he's aligned to Matt Sweetnam's team. Um, and both of us actually went to the same graduate program for data science. So um, we have a similar background, I guess you could say, um, although we've taken different paths to get to ahead. And um, now that we're both here, we're really trying to share what we know with the community and help kind of foster more growth um, in data science. During your community meetups or whatever you might have, like what are what, what's the talk of the town in your community? Yeah, so I would be uh, lying if I didn't say AI wasn't the talk of the town right now. Um, there's a huge push of everybody from every direction to leverage AI. And um, we believe that there are a number of AI techniques that are very applicable to, um, you know, uh, enhancing workflows for ourselves and for our customers. Um, however, uh, we think that there's also a little bit of FOMO in areas right now around the AI space. Nobody wants to miss out and um, we're trying to help navigate that in our community. Now, in terms of some of the stuff that we talk about in our community, I think one of the biggest things that we've noticed um, of the interest that we've seen so far is just general enablement. Folks want to know what data science is. One of these biggest questions that we've seen is how does data science relate to AI? And from our perspective, um, machine learning and a lot of different data science techniques are a, a subset of the AI. And AI really is kind of a, a really gross oversimplification, bear with me, is using machines and computers to make decisions normally only a person could make. So that distillation right there is applicable to most things in data science and AI. So um, we're kind of trying to navigate that, uh, that minefield of buzzwords and um, actual techniques there right now. Cool. And, you know, what have you learned through your community so far? Well, we've learned how much interest there is. 
And I, I mentioned this in my previous answer, but there's very much um, a huge buzzword in the market right now of AI. And I remember when the buzzword was cloud and then the buzzword was data science. And now we're yes. in the hype cycle around AI. And um, I believe that this is going to be as impactful as cloud was, as impactful as data science is. Um, and I think it's directly um, related to data science as well. I think it's a natural extension. And what we're seeing um, through our community is just how much interest there is from different verticals, not just different verticals, but all sorts of roles and responsibilities throughout those verticals too. It's not just technical folks anymore who want to start leveraging this, these techniques, um, these tools. They, um, it goes all the way up the chain organizationally in terms of the, the folks we're hearing from, you know, sales leaders, um, you know, uh, technical leaders, engineering leaders, there's all sorts of folks who have joined the community and really want to know how to bring AI and data science to their uh, backyard, I guess you could say, and start applying it and improving the way they do things. Yeah, uh, I, I, when you were going through a, your "quote unquote" gross oversimplification of AI, the immediate question to me of kind of almost like a meme sort of thing, like "What is cloud?" and it's like, yeah. "What is AI?" It's definitely like the next <laughs> the next thing where you're making jokes about it. Except I think there's like an existential dread part of the memes that are coming out with AI. There definitely is. Yeah, I think it's really great. I, I use it almost every day. Um, I actually just was having it create different rhyming structures for my Christmas cards. So everyone there you thinks go. they're going to be getting a customized, well, if they know me, they probably know I used it, but um, <laughs> I'm creating fun little jingles for Christmas in my Christmas cards. So it's really nice. That's awesome. And a great example of using generative AI to augment your workflow, however that may be. And that might save you, you know, 10 minutes. That might save you an hour. It doesn't, it oh, doesn't really matter hours. there. Hours. Well, yeah, there, well, there you go. I, I can't. I can't rhyme, so <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't either. And it's something that I would also leverage AI to help with. And we're going to see more and more of that. Just little bits of assistance here and there to help augment your current workflows. Um, I've said this before, but there's is I would say some fear in the community right now of oh, is AI going to come and replace me? Is uh, my role going to be you know eliminated because it can be automated or anything like that? And I'm a big believer that data science and AI are going to augment and help improve the way that we currently do things. They're not going to replace anyone. In fact, it's going to be more important than ever to really be a subject matter expert to truly leverage AI and data science in an intelligent way. Yeah. And, you know, through your community or your own personal work, like what are, you know, some really great ways that you're seeing AI being leveraged? Yeah, that's a really good question. So. I think one of the coolest things that we've seen as part of the community is the sharing of different techniques. Obviously, generative is the hot topic right now with generating language and code and images and videos and all that stuff. But there's a huge amount of value in a lot of the, I guess you would call them, quote unquote, more traditional data science techniques, um, things like recommendation systems things like uh, predictive modeling on tabular data. There is a lot of value in that stuff. And um, really one of the coolest things we've seen come out of the community is once we share different techniques and uh, tool sets to, to achieve those things, um, people kind of take it into their own realm. 
And if I could give an example of something that just happened yesterday, uh, we had one of our community members put together a really awesome building recommendation systems uh, training for the community, and um, that's going to be releasing this week. Um, and one of the coolest things about that was she took technique that she learned about as part of the community and she applied that to data she went out and found herself. She had a particular interest in Sephora products. She was big on uh, Sephora and what she did was actually replicate the actual recommendations that are available on the Sephora website. So um, doing that I think is very powerful and, and sharing is one of the coolest things that has come out of our community, kind of learning about something and then bringing it home to your realm of thought, to your interests, and then applying it there. I think that's one of, I think that's been probably the coolest thing that I've seen as part of the community growth. Yeah, I think that's really great, especially when someone, I, I always enjoy um, when I had led my previous team here at Ahead, part of the professional development that I would have them do is, okay, you went and learned something, time to bring it back to the team and share it with everyone, right? Like, and this yeah. share the entire course that you just did, but what are like, you know, three key things that you learned from this? And one of the things I learned was, it, this is 0365, so, but double click that format painter button and it's mm. just the format painter for the rest of the time until you click escape. And I'm over here and I've been working for 15 plus years and I'm clicking once, highlighting, going back, clicking once, highlighting. And I'm like, this is really great. But I think that's the that, that super important follow through whenever you're learning is to go then teach and then mm. other people get to learn. But when you go to teach something too, I think you kind of like really drill in that lesson. I love where you your head's at with that, Nick, because I'm a big believer in that as well. I don't think that you truly know how much you know until you try to teach someone else. And <laughs> it's a humbling experience um, being a leader in this community, thinking that I know a lot of these different things. And when I try to put it to paper, try to distill it into, you know, a 30 minute prezzo or something like that, you really kind of have to get creative and you really have to learn more. And um, we've seen that in the folks that have put together trainings, we, we have more coming. And I've learned that myself as part of this uh, community build is, um, you know, how much care and effort it takes to really create a good enablement program. Yeah. And so you're talking about that one example of, um, you know, the relationship modeling uh, with Sephora and them coming back and training. I'm curious, like, wh what other ways do you keep the community fun and interesting? Yeah. So one of the things that data science does have going for it is it is a collection of many different techniques. Um, there used to be in, uh, you know, about a decade ago, there, there was the concept of the data science unicorn. And that was someone who knew everything there was to know about data science, from computer vision to natural language processing to statistics and experimentation. Um, however, the field has really evolved and kind of fractured into many different sub-disciplines at this point. So anybody claiming to be a unicorn at this point, I would almost raise an eyebrow to because it's such a big skill set. Um, you have to have a limitation somewhere. So. To bring it back to your question, one of the coolest things we've seen come out of the community and one of the uh, things that really energizes us um, that we've learned is how many different pockets of interest there are. Some folks joined the community because they want to work on computer vision stuff. Some folks join the community because they want to build predictive models with tabular data. A lot of folks join the community because they want to understand what the heck is going on with 
ChatGPT and large language models. So I think um, in terms of keeping it fun and interesting, it's really trying to do justice to all of these different subdisciplines. We need to make sure that we're not just focusing on one particular thing, but really covering the landscape of tools and techniques and how we are doing, uh, how we are doing this work with our customers, how we're going to market with these uh, platforms as well. There's really a lot to share. And I think um, one of the things that we've noticed keeps it engaging is trying to cover the whole life cycle of all of these different tools and techniques. I'm curious what you find to be the most rewarding aspect of your community. So I find personally that sharing what I know is very rewarding. And I see that reflected back in the interest that has been generated from the community from that sharing. Um, one example is uh, recommendation systems. We, we were sharing information about recommendation systems and um, one of our community members really kind of took that to heart and went off and created her own training uh, to share a recommendation, building recommendation systems training for the community. And I thought that was particularly powerful because someone uh, saw something that we were talking about and kind of made it their own. And that's what one of the benefits I think is to uh, sharing in the community is really kind of not being a gatekeeper in terms of any type of information, putting it all out on the table and for the community saying, here, this is what you can do with all this cool stuff, you know, go off and do it. And then we've already seen the fruits of our, you know, sharing there. So um, that I think is probably one of the most impactful things that um, I've gotten out of it. Yeah, it, I think it's always cool when it's funny when like you're teaching something, you have a very poignant like a perspective on what you're teaching for and how it applies to like work you're familiar with. But then there's that student who's looking at it and they're applying it to something you haven't even thought of yet. Or exactly. Like, even consider. And then they're like, oh, yeah, this is boom. And they connect those dots. And that's definitely uh, an amazing feeling, I think, as a teacher and as a student. Yeah, that's such a great point. You know, it's impossible for anybody to think of all the possibilities of use out there, um, especially in data science. So um, I'm extraordinarily welcoming of folks with different perspectives and different angles who can come in and kind of uh, put their own skill set to use there with some of these data science techniques. Yeah, I'm curious. Have you had have you had any other like uh, aha moments? Um, I, the, the biggest aha moment, and I've kind of touched upon this a few times, is just how much demand there is for AI right now. Um, we've talked to customers, we've talked internally, we've talked to uh, our sales leaders, and every single company out there is talking about AI. And really what we have realized is that um, the speed of things is incredible right now in, in AI and data science. Um, what was available like six months ago is already you know outdated. I, one example I can give you is Google Bard. Uh, earlier in this year, immediately after ChatGPT was released, Google Bard came out. Um, and I won't comment on any type of use. I didn't use it too much myself, but you know, fast forward to just last week and Google released Gemini. And you know, the speed of tombstoning old tools and coming up with new ones is uh, faster than I've ever seen. And it definitely warrants um, attention to be quick to cover what is available and also hone in on things that are going to have more staying power. So I think that's my biggest aha moment that I've realized uh, from, from this community. 
Yeah, it's almost like a little mix of like um, predictions, like betting sort of thing. And like it's knowing very I, much I so. When, I think when you're working with it, you'll know, you, you know, what's up to snuff and what isn't usually. Absolutely. I mean, I think the power is in the use. You know, you, we, we were talking earlier about, um, you know, how we use some of these tools and techniques. And um, I would wager to bet that you headed to ChatGPT for some of the work that you were doing. And I use ChatGPT as well because, you know, the repeated use shows the repeated value there. And really, it's going to be kind of a value prop long term. Uh, what is showing the most value for folks? Yeah, I mean, I find ways to accelerate what I'm trying to do. A lot of, even with my friends, I think we're joking about like, we're out one night, we joked about creating a new brand of beer and I just went and generated a new label for what the beer thing would be. We came up with names and like all of a sudden we had like artwork. Uh, yeah. It superimposed on a beer bottle of people out there. And I'm like, yeah, we like just spun up a, our own little <laughs> you know, ad agency. But it's going to, Think about how much time that would have taken, you know, in the, the old way of doing things. Like mm -hmm. it, it really is a accelerator for everybody. Yeah. I even think about like drawing the parallels to other tools and stuff, right? Like I use PowerPoint like so much and um, it's like, yeah, this is a lot better than having to paint boards. <laughs> and, and then yeah. like if you make a change on what the name is going to be or whatever repaint the board or whatever and same with like excel like that's oh, yeah. like insane so i yeah. think you know there's a lot of really great ways that a lot of people can apply and it's and it's been fun yeah absolutely i i think that would we need to reflect on in 2023 which i think is you know one of the biggest advances in ai we've seen as uh, mm -hmm. as you know um, technology users is that we need to enjoy the ride right this is not a replacement all of a sudden this is not only about work it's about being able to accelerate all sorts of different thought processes, different sorts of um, techniques and tools to get us the results that we want faster, whether that's in business or in life. Yeah, I'd like to get involved. How do Hedians get involved in your community? Yeah, great question. So we have a community form that you just need to fill out and just your your name and where you're at and we get you added to the community. Um, we have monthly meetings and we also have calls to action. So we have a lot of different things that you can help contribute to. Uh, we are slowly building a library of really cool content, uh, such, such as recommendation systems training, large language models, RAG implementations, and more traditional stuff too. So regardless of who you are, what level you're at, what vertical you're in, um, I think it would be really valuable to join the data science community. And you might say, hey, that sounds really mathy. That sounds really uh, like stuff that I don't want to get involved with. I promise you it's not there's ways to contribute in all sorts of um, capacities and some of our best contributions have been from non-technical experts so i just have to say that if you are thinking about dabbling in data science you are more than welcome in the aces data science community i hope to see you uh soon awesome and folks can find that uh form on the archie page for aces correct so just go up hit that search bar type in uh, communities of excellence and you'll be on your way yeah Awesome. Well, Ian, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. I got to learn a lot uh, from you, and I'm definitely going to be checking out the community here after this call. Awesome. Well, more than welcome, Nick. I'm sure you bring a fresh perspective, and thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Thanks.
Welcome back, folks. I've got Andy here with me today. Andy, how are you doing? Good, good. Hey, Nick, how are you doing? I am doing great. Um, I remember, Andy, when you, uh, maybe not first started, but I definitely remember when you were working with David Berlin and we did a lot of projects together. But uh, I also remember you having an awesome career path here at Ahead. Uh, now being a field CTO, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're correct. I've been, I've been here for be nine years in March. And yeah, I, I came in as a delivery engineer. Uh, I think a lot of people, it surprised a lot of people to think about that. Uh, I came in as a delivery engineer and eventually worked my way up into uh, the role I have now, which is uh, very rewarding. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm having you on for this episode, but if I ever have a future career path episode, you would definitely be someone I would want to feature. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. Yeah. So uh, can you tell me a little bit about your role as field CTO? Yeah. So from my perspective as a field CTO, um, we, we carry a lot of bags. Um, one is a evangelizing, you know, what we do across uh, the organization, across our service portfolio. Um, for me specifically, I focus a lot in healthcare, healthcare providers, that is. Um, it, for, for those that aren't aware, you know, 40 to 45% of our business in the healthcare provider space and and so for me, uh, engaging with clients, specifically in that industry, allows them to, to see what we're doing with, with our other clients, right? So meaning understanding how I provide, can provide value to them, as well as how we can engage and, and maybe align to, to more strategic initiatives. So I think we're a little bit of a mouthpiece. So some people say tip of the spear, but I think any given day, uh, you know, we're, we're brought into various scenarios to just be a representative and, and a face of the organization. Yeah. And I think what's amazing is that you have that experience, right? That background where you're like, oh, no, I was a delivery engineer. I know what this is going to be like when you go to implement it. But you can also zoom all the way out and talk like, you know, long term strategy and everything. And I think that makes you a very, um, I don't know if dangerous is the word, but, uh, you know, the, the right guy in the room. It can be right. So I think there's a lot of reintroducing myself. I think a lot of recalibrating people who maybe have engaged with me in the past. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I think the ability to zoom in and zoom out provides value in, in, in many contexts and situations. Uh, I definitely know about rebranding myself. I still get people reaching out to me about RFPs. I'm like, hold up, hold up. <laughs> yeah. So you're talking about healthcare earlier and Josh, uh, you know, provided some light on our head communities of excellence. And mm -hmm. uh, from what I understand, you lead a community of excellence. Uh, you know, what does your community of excellence focus on? Yeah, so if, if you're familiar uh, with the communities that are ahead, where they're broken down into two categories, one is technical and the other one's industry or vertical. And and so I lead the vertical around healthcare uh, community and myself and another uh, gentleman, Houdini, uh, that, that represent, I would say, leadership within ahead that, that really, I would say, scorecards, how do we get, I would say, folks that cover healthcare, whether they're client directors, CSPs, CSAs, uh, interested in healthcare and passionate about healthcare, how do we get them talking? And so um, I, for me, I, I lead the healthcare vertical. I, I think it's, it's important to, to make sure that we're getting those stories out there. Um, and, you know, I think it's a little bit of a science experiment this year, but I think uh, we've, we've seen a lot of positive engagement. Yeah, I think, you know, similar to even this podcast, right? Sometimes you just need to create the space where people feel comfortable to have yeah. a conversation, to ask questions, to share stories, whatever it might be, because I think especially in hybrid and remote and heck, we're a global business, right? Like yeah. I'm not always going to be in front of the people who are in different regions like in Atlanta or Nashville or Phoenix or whatever. Yeah. But if you can create the space for people to have, you know, the open conversations, you there's a lot to be gained from that. I think you're, I think you're spot on, right? I think a lot of people, and I'm just zooming into our organization, that probably feel comfortable with 
maybe their, their direct contacts and it's usually probably within a geographical region or maybe their team. But, but I think being able to break that bubble and, and getting people to talk outside of that, that, that region or that group or whoever that, that may be, I think provides them not only a platform to, to showcase what they do on the day-to-day basis, but I think just learn. And I think if there's one thing I've learned from, from the, the, the communities themselves, there's a lot of desire and hunger to learn. I think a lot of people are hungry for, what's that new story? Like what's that, what's that new win or what's that new compelling event that like got my, their client excited because people translate that meaning I can go take that story to my clients and, and, and get them excited. But yeah, I, I agree. I agree with everything you said. I think just giving them platform to speak and, and share ideas is, is, is very important. I'm curious, like what, you know, what stories have you learned from through your community? Well, uh, it's, it's not so much the stories. Cause I think a lot in many cases, some of those do, do reach, my desk in the literal, like the, the literal sense or hypothetical sense. But, but I think from that perspective, I think the ability to share that story that maybe I hear, you know, in, almost in a game of telephone, right? Maybe you get whispers through uh, the organization of what, what it may or may not be. I think that the biggest thing I've learned is the value of hearing it from the person who actually executed the story themselves. And so it's not so much the, the specific story that gets me excited, it's more along the lines of hearing the the details that went behind some of the decisions or the details that went behind and it's something as simple as maybe the client waffled on a decision and they had to delay something an extra three weeks, but then they went this path. And I think some of those things that, that, that come out with direct interaction with the people who executed that story, I think not only provides a lot of value, but it provides, a, it's very powerful when you provide that context to other clients, right? So it's easy to come in and say, hey, let us, you know, transform your business to do X, Y, Z. Let's move applications to cloud. Let, let's not only, you know, I'd say accelerate some of the application development. And we could we can go in many different contexts and talk about what you could do with the client. But the minute you start to start to make it real for them and put context around what actually happened with X, Y, Z client, but more importantly, why they made the decisions they made. I think becomes a very powerful story. So at the end of the day, like if you break down a lot of our jobs in, in this organization, we're storytellers and, and having those minute details um, are, are eye-opening. So to answer your question, it's not a specific story. It's the details that I can gather from, from the people who actually executed that story, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's how a lot of people learn is from, you know, learning from the people who actually already did it before, right? And it sounds like even our clients are like, okay, who's done this before? And why did they do it that way? I mean, even you can see it in the back of my camera, this couch, my friend, my friends own this couch, they had it already for two years. And I was like, I think this is a really great couch. I need a new couch. You already made it work. Like, I'm gonna go buy this because I already know it does what it needs to do and and how they got it shipped and it checked all the boxes i was like we don't need to go looking i don't need to make it hard for myself and i would even take it a step further right if your friend came back and said well if you look at wasp elm they provide this option you go and create barrel they provide this option by the way we almost went with over here and and we 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 hesitated because we like this option and i think the the amount of detail you can get around those types of decisions and more importantly like you know why you could you contextualize it for the people who actually are empowered to make these decisions, I think at the end of the day, they see a tremendous amount of value in that. And so I think just getting down to the specifics and the details, at the end, they become very powerful. You may not be the one who actually helped XYZ client, but if you can understand the detail, I think you become a very powerful storyteller.
Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes when people are pushing for case studies or something like like that, sometimes there's like this narrative around everything. And I think at the end of the day, I'm looking for like, give me like the 90 word that like the three sentences that I need to know around this, that are, that is like really those, that key information. And a lot of the times things get pulled up too high level and you won't get down into, you know, the why for mm -hmm. a lot of the things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, what do you find to be the most rewarding aspect of uh, your community? So I, I think early on when, when we were conceptualizing the idea of communities, th th there was a couple things that, that that was, you know, very apparent. One is like from my role, my role is not to be front and center. And unfortunately, like the way we lead a lot of our virtual meetups, that that that, that has to happen. But but I think what what gets me more excited is connecting dots. And I, and I say that because that a lot of times, again, going back to people operate within their bubble, only engage within their bubble. I think the ability to, to connect dots with various people within organizations who may or may never, or I'd say in many cases may not engage with each other, right? Because they're geographically distributed or maybe their roles will never allow them to, to interact with, with people in other geographies. I think allowing them to connect the dots and say, hey, like you guys share not only a common theme or a level of expertise that I think is, is important, but more importantly, like if you guys put your heads together, that there's something powerful there. And then, and for me, it's not that I want to be empowered with, with what comes of that, right? And for me, it's it's connecting the dots and watching it happen. And I think that's that's been the most rewarding piece is knowing that our role is is more importantly trying to glue and and, and put I'd say common people together, but we're not necessarily supposed to be front and center or the main contributor, right? So. I think to me, to me the, the I see a lot of value and, and more importantly, the most rewarding aspect I see is, is is seeing other people leverage the platform or the community to do something that that is either valuable for their client, valuable for head as an organization, or just valuable for their own careers. I think that's uh, that, that's that's what I get satisfaction in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, you know, fostering collaboration, like what you're talking about, not having to be front and center, but at least giving people the opportunity to connect those dots. And also our value of serve, like, yeah. again, pointing back to the not front and center, but you're, you are creating space for people to be better and kind of to learn and to grow. And I think that's really amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, you talked about the virtual meetups. What are those like? Yeah, so so really early on, I, I think we realized that a lot of the, the the folks that you know are interested in healthcare or work directly with healthcare clients, they're very distributed. And so, um, you know, we, we have aspirations at some point to meet in, in a, a in person setting. But but I think the reality of it is just with not only remote work and you know, uh, I'd say. The, the idea that we are just very distributed, that vir virtual meetups need to be kind of the, the way we facilitate engagement. And so, you know, we have day-to-day -day communications on Teams channels and emails and whatnot, but but I'd say at a quarterly basis, our goal is to, to, to highlight, A, what's happening in the community, right? So there's a lot of, I'd say, updates regarding, you know, new partners we're bringing in or new solutions we're rolling out or, you know, uh, you guys are aware of the, the the podcast that Jay and Houdini did, and making sure that's getting you know distributed informally through channels, and then also just introduction to other team members. And so you know one idea that we had to kind of to mix up engagement, and again going back to like me and Houdini don't want to be front and center. Like we want other folks to showcase themselves, and so so we've challenged that in many ways where we we've had different members come up and or I'd say come up and speak virtually speak and, and talk about either a client win, a client success story, or more importantly, just to introduce themselves. I think there's a 
robust amount of skill sets in this space. And a lot of people bring different backgrounds, whether it's consulting or client, like direct client experience. And I think allowing them to, to kind of showcase themselves, I think then creates that, that opportunity for people to reach out to them. And so, um, the, you know, the virtual meetups are, are an ex I'd say just to summarize it, you know, we talk about, you know, quarterly updates, we to talk about new solutions and more importantly, just trying to showcase different members. And so we, we've done that in, I'd say many different ways. Yeah, it sounds like there's also like really great opportunities for people to step up and and be a leader, right? Like, yes. hey, it's time to introduce myself. It's time for me to share my story, right? And help uh, help other people learn from my experiences. And I think that's a great opportunity for anybody who's looking to kind of dip their toe in the water and being a leader. Um, yep. It sounds like the communities of excellence are a great opportunity for that. 100%. I, 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 can't, I can't express that more than what you just said. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, the virtual meetups sound great and being able to introduce everyone. Um, you know, what are the other ways that you keep the community fun and interesting? Well, I think uh, the other piece of it is just finding areas that, that people want to maybe con not necessarily contribute, but but 100%, I'd say, align towards their areas of interest, right? So we, we talked about the podcast. Um, the, the other thing that we we're working through was, you know, blogging and other opportunities to, to, to align to our marketing schedule. Um, as well as even we, we created a smaller team to, to, to focus on like solutions rollout. So working with our, our, our solutions development group and aligning it towards a healthcare portfolio that would resonate in the market. And so I think it, for us, it's giving, or I'd say members an opportunity to, to maybe use their superpower in, in a way that doesn't actually have to be publicly visible, right? So like it's something like a podcast or a blog might be too publicly visible for some. I think leveraging their their superpower to help with solutions development, or you know, looking at Gen AI use cases and working with our data and analytics team. I think that we've been able to to find different areas for for different people, and so I think that the way we've kind of mixed it up is 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 keeping that open form for people to volunteer. And I think uh, from there that 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 provides more of a channel to. Uh, I'd say for them to find where their passion lies. I think that's the best way I can describe it. Uh, it sounds like, a, like you said, a really great opportunity for people to be able to flex and try something out, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, I mean, you just mentioned Gen AI for healthcare and some fairly newish, but yeah. I bet there's people who are interested in that. And, you know, the communities yeah. of excellence could be a great place to come and learn about it and, you know, share their experiences with it as well. Yeah. And even to take a step further, right? I think that, so there's a technical community around uh, data science that, that's focused on Gen AI. And, and we actually had, you know, one of their leaders come in and speak to our community. And so, you know, you talk about the, the, the ability to, you know, whether we're talking about cross solution stitching or more importantly, even just, you know, cross referencing the various communities, I think that, that, that that's another opportunity as well, right? Is, is knowing that like healthcare doesn't have to be the leader of Gen AI, but I think knowing that there's a, you know, when I say healthcare community doesn't have to be leader of Gen AI, knowing that, that we you know we have a community that does focus on that. I think there's probably an area for communities to start collaborating. So not, not only are we talking about members within a community collaborating, I think community to community collaboration is just as important as well. Oh man. It just reminds <laughs> me of, uh, reminds me of a heads, uh, old messaging of stitching it all together and just having everything weave in because it is really all connected. Right. And yes. So you're creating these communities and these spaces to be able to have some focus, but also acknowledging that, Hey, there's areas outside of your focus that can have an impact on yes. what you're trying to do. Absolutely. Um, so I'm curious, have you had any aha moments in your community? I think from an aha standpoint, it, it, it's it's allowing, 
I think for me, going back to what I said around connecting the dots and creating, and I think you said it well, like creating a platform. My biggest aha moment was just allowing people to provide authentic contribution to it. Meaning we can't force people to contribute. We can't force people to be authentic in the way they contribute. But I think more importantly, like if you create a platform where they feel open to do that, as well as open to volunteer for things, I think that's where my aha moment clicked is, is, is that's what we want to provide is, is just a, a, a simplification or just a simplified way of, of sharing ideas. Right. And so um, I can't say it's anything profound, right. Or from an aha moment standpoint, but it's more importantly just knowing that like, it, you know, it, it's that old adage around like, you know, squeezing a teddy bear. You, you just don't want to squeeze it too hard. Right. You just want to make sure that you're providing just enough information and just enough uh, access to the platform that, that people feel, willing to contribute, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's not about me or any of the leaders. It's about making sure that, you know, we can, as an organization, uh, you know, cultivate the ideas and, and move forward and, and innovate. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And it's, it's definitely a fine line to walk, right? You don't want to suffocate it, but you also want to make sure that you give it enough support and resources and attention sort of thing. Absolutely. So. We as comedian leaders also meet and, and make sure that we're, we're, we're finding new ways to, to either, you know, excite the members or more importantly, find different ways to, to contribute. And so, yeah, I think uh, it, it's it's an ongoing process is the best way to describe it. Yeah, always is. I'm curious if I'm in a heady and I want to get involved in your community of excellence, how do I get started? Yeah, so that's a good question. So on our Archie page, there is a landing zone for communities of ACES or head communities of excellence. And Within that, there is actually a sign-up form for each community. So for anyone who's interested in AHEADS communities um, and wants to, to register, you have to formally submit your registration th- through the form, and, and it goes to the leaders who then, essentially, there's not strict requirements. We just want to make sure that we're we're adding the, the people who actually want to you know, expose themselves to that type of noise. And so from there, we, we, we'll, we'll get the request We'll add you to the appropriate Teams channels. Uh, from there, you're included in, in the quarterly meetups, at least from my perspective. Each community does a little bit differently. Um, and so I would say Archie is a good starting point. You'll see the landing page for, for Head Communities of Excellence or ACES. Um, and then which in there, you'll see the different categories of what communities exist. There are different leaders for each of the communities. And, and so if you have any questions, I think, you know, don't be afraid to reach out directly via email or Teams to, to whoever's identified as the, the community leader. Sounds easy peasy for the Hedians listening. I mean, if you're looking for opportunities to be a leader, to contribute to something authentically, to help start connecting some dots and to align with some of your passions, this sounds like a, an excellent uh, program and set of communities to get involved in. Uh, Andy, any closing thoughts you'd like to share with the audience? No, Nick, I, I would say thanks for having me on. I, you know, we're always excited to talk about the, the communities of excellence. And more, more importantly, I think uh, any listeners out there that, that are, you know, wanting to jump in and, and, and take a leadership role or more importantly volunteer for you know everything that we do within the community please reach out i think uh, you know we welcome the communication and we're always looking for uh passionate individuals to to join our our ranks awesome well andy thank you for hopping on the podcast and sharing your story today yeah thanks nick and that's a wrap on another episode of the life at ahead podcast we hope you enjoyed our exploration into the power of innovation and the impact of AHEADS Communities of Excellence. If you're an Ahedian and are interested in joining one of AHEADS Communities of Excellence, 
you can get started today on Archie. We want to extend our sincere gratitude to Josh, Andy, and Ian for sharing their insights and experiences with us today. We're incredibly lucky to be surrounded by such passionate and inspiring people. And thank you to you, our listeners, for joining us today. And I look forward to having you with us in future episodes. As always, stay tuned, stay well, and stay ahead. Ahead, Ahedians.